Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have a conversation with Aaron Clymer, founder and CEO of Data Clymer, a premier consulting firm specializing in building modern cloud data systems and helping organizations instill a data-driven culture. Aaron has led Data Climber's engagements with numerous major league sports organizations in the MLB and NFL, including the San Francisco Giants and Las Vegas Raiders, where Data Climber's data engineers have implemented a modern cloud data stack that enables data teams to own and control their entire systems. Prior to founding Data Climber, Aaron spent seven years building the data team at Salesforce. His mission at Salesforce was to help 400 plus product managers drive product strategy and instill a data-driven culture. And in this episode, we discuss the future of cloud data warehousing, why you may need a data lake or data warehouse, and how to tap into the insights and analytics of them. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Aaron. How are you today? Hey, I'm great, Demetrius. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to have you on the show. I am looking forward to tapping into some of your insights here. Uh, Why don't you start off by giving the Gumbo listeners a brief rundown of yourself and also your company? Yeah, sure. So uh, I um, am founder and CEO of a data warehousing and data engineering, engineering firm, consulting firm called Data Climber. I used my last name because the domain was available and it made a lot of sense. I've been going six years strong here, but my, my career really has been all in um, high tech. I've been in high tech for 25 years, mostly Silicon Valley. I ran the data team at Salesforce for about seven years prior to this and um, took a lot of the methodology that uh, we developed there uh, for getting data into the hands of every business user we could, democratizing data, making sure that data is actually used and taken action is taken on it, you know, from, from the, for the masses. And I, I, I started this company. I, I wanted to become a true expert at, um, at full data stacks, data warehouses, cloud technology. And so I realized I couldn't do that by being at one or two companies in 10 years. I wanted to see 50 or a hundred, you know, sort of implementations in five years. You know, so right. I've done that and, um, and really, really enjoying, uh, really enjoying our time here. Awesome. So let's, let's get right into it. So Primarily, I, I really would like to tap into data warehousing. I do not have a lot of conversations around data warehousing, and I am really curious right now just around, why, why don't we start off with the, I know the evolution is always exciting, kind of where we've come from to where we are now, but why don't you give us a rundown of maybe the future of where cloud data warehousing is going? Sure, yeah. It's super exciting times in the data warehousing field, even though that sounds like a, a not a sexy space. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really, really pretty exciting to see the technology and the innovations that are coming. And I, I do sort of, I think I do have to 
uh, give you just a quick sense of what it was like in the past okay. to help also yeah. understand the future. You know, again, say 10 years ago when I was at Salesforce, you know, we were on an Oracle data warehouse on premise, took a team of 10 engineers and six to 12 months of planning to get a enterprise data warehouse up and running, um, you know, capacity was planned out. Uh, the data modeling was a lot of work. Performance was still a big problem. Um, you know, serving hundreds to thousands of users was, you know, was a very large technical challenge. Um, plus, there's a lot of downtime because things would things would go wrong, or you know, we even have to do up, upgrades and and all of that. So, fast forward to today, there's a whole bunch of new vendors that were not did not exist ten years ago, and um, and they're full cloud. And they've solved pretty much all the technical sort of administrative headaches of running a data warehouse. So it's it's a breeze now. You can spin up a data warehouse in five minutes. You can start bringing in data right away. Um, and it just works, right? So you don't have to worry about anything on a technical side, really. You don't have to worry about compressions, you know, or um, our security or... Uh, or really anything, it just, it, just, it just works. So you can focus on your business logic, and that's great. Then you fast forward to the future, and I, where I see this going is, um, is just beyond the, it's more about the use cases that you can solve. You know, because now you've got the, all these things that only cloud enables. So you know, first of all, there's unlimited space, really, or as much data as you want in there. So the idea of it, what some people talk about data lakes versus data warehouses, but you, you know, a lake is more about throwing petabytes or large, large amounts of data into a, a, into a storage area. And a warehouse is more about structured data that you can query. But there, those two concepts are merging. And so you can basically throw anything you do you want into your data warehouse. You know, the, the kinds of use cases we're going to solve in the future are pretty amazing because we can, again, have un, almost unlimited data. And in the past, data warehouses were actually designed for analytics. They're, so they're designed to put large, large amounts of data in one place and then scan you know, millions to billions of rows in a query to get an answer. So they're, they're built for scanning large amounts of data, um, which is exactly the opposite of what transactional databases are that run applications. Transaction, you know, most databases that we're familiar with run your all your SaaS apps or applications, wherever they are. They're built for single transactions. So a very different architecture for different purposes. But that transactional capability is coming back into the data warehouse of the future. And so data warehouses sort of you won't have to choose between those two architectures anymore. They're, they're merging into one thing. And so you're going to be able to get applications running off your data warehouse and be able to do analytics on large amounts of data and basically just have one, one central data warehouse. So that's, that's going to be eventually, I think, where a lot of applications are just running. And so your data is all in one place. The, the sort of uh, tenant of data warehousing for 30, 40 years has been just get all your data in one place from various sources and then be able to analyze it and see a 360 degree view of your customer or your product or what have you. That's only been exacerbated in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years since SaaS applications have really come online and businesses now are running their entire company off SaaS applications. Right. Um, my, my company, I'm running my company off of about 15 different applications, okay. right? And they're all cloud. That's small. Um, and at, yeah, and maybe that's small, right? You get 20, 20, 30 sometimes. Hundreds. And uh, sometimes hundreds, right? That's how the larger your business is, the more complicated it is, the more solutions and tools you need to run it. Well, that means data is fragmented across you know, 100 places. And you have nowhere to look to see a 360 degree view of your customer, for instance. So yeah, getting it all in one place has always been the, the mantra of data warehousing. 
So in the end of the day, if you think about it, why not have all that data in one place from the beginning and not even have to bring it in? You know, yeah. but that's kind of the future, I think, of where okay. ultimately uh, data warehousing is going. Awesome. And stepping back and maybe setting the stage for, and, and I think you, you explained it very succinctly, uh, you mentioned Data Lake and Data Warehouse. They're similar but different. But depending on the size of an organization and a company, is that typically something that a medium to enterprise large size large size customer would would actually utilize because I'm not sure if a smaller organization, let's say less than fifty people, really needs a data warehouse. Can can you explain the differences around like when to use a data data warehouse and why do you need it, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think actually companies that are quite small uh, need a data warehouse. It's really basically as soon as you want to start leveraging data to affect your business. You know, you want to be data driven. You you need a system by which to be able to look at that data and and automate a lot of the data processing so you can just get business answers quickly. I mean, a company at our size, you know, we're we're almost fifty people, pretty small company. We absolutely need you know, our own data warehouse and our own an analytics. I mean, I, I still would be in the dark without a lot of that. And we, it would take, even at our size, it would take way too long to do it manually, to throw it all in a spreadsheet and take three days to sort of come up with an answer. You know, I want to be able to slice and dice our business um, within minutes and understand what's going on in every aspect. So a uh, company is actually pretty small need it. And that's, again, that's sort of the, the great news about this day and age is the cost of these systems have dropped precipitously. And so it's it's within reach of most companies to, to be able to do it. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And and you, you keep mentioning analytics and I think you said it that was the old way of tapping into, I guess, the reason why you would have a data lake is to go and try to get some of those insights and analytics. What what's the the new reason, I guess, for a a data warehouse? Is there anything besides analytics? that uh, someone would actually use a data a data warehouse for or a data lake for? Yeah, I, I didn't really mean to say it's uh, the old way in the sense that um, you still need analytics okay. in every company and look backward to see how the business has done in the past to understand where you're going and trends, things like that, right? So that's always going to be there. That was the primary use case not too long ago. Now, in addition to that basic use case, we're starting to see a lot of companies take the data that they're using that are, that are stored in the data warehouse, have it be updated fairly quickly up to near real time, and then push that data back out into their business systems to have, you know, to take more action on the data. So just as an example, like you, you might have a, an email campaign that you're running and you have a couple dimensions or dimensional data about your customers that you you just kind of got into your data warehouse and you think would actually refine or better target that campaign. So you push that field or there's two fields about your customers back into your email marketing system and then it refines you know, the campaign and it's better targeted. So just as a simple example, you can get the, you know, that data might have come from a completely separate system. And so you got to get it into your business. You got to get it into the business system that needs the data to take action on it in an automated way. Um, that's where we, that's where, that's where that's sort of the near future is putting a lot more data from the data warehouse back into business systems to make it actionable and, you know, actually make a difference to your business. And then, very, you know, the longer sort of vision, I think, is that these applications will start to, 
instead of having to us having to push data in and out of the data warehouse, the data is just always there, and, and you know you're not really moving data around. Yeah, and you, you briefly mentioned a little bit about the evolution. So things were running on premises, you know, within data centers, and probably sprawled across a, a couple of servers uh, in the environment. And now things have moved to the cloud. I, I do remember there there being some hesitation to you know running workloads in the cloud because of this you know security. Oh, it's not safe and. And what if, you know, this happens or whatever, but I, I do know that, you know, according to Gartner, like 99% of um, all uh, misconfigurations uh, happen from the customer perspective that, you know, <laughs> the, you know we're, we're not doing a good job as customers to kind of lock down um, and using these security controls that, that are provided from these SaaS applications. Is, is there, is there any, anything that you're seeing around if it's running in the cloud that it's not safe or is it safer? You know, what's your perspective there? Yeah, that's really interesting uh, uh, finding there. I hadn't heard that. But I would totally believe that because uh, most tools are, are, are fairly good. And I think it's just they, gotta be, they have to be used appropriately, right? And they, then they can be a great solution. But, but yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of the of cloud applications and, and data in the cloud in general is it's taking quite a long time longer than i would have expected for um businesses in general to trust data in the cloud i mean i was at it's at salesforce in the um early 2000s um and you know salesforce spent 10 years just convincing the world that they can put their their crm data their customer data which is very valuable data in the cloud and it's secure and, and sure enough, that was the case. And why was that? Well, it's because Salesforce is going to invest a lot of resources into security because they definitely do not want a breach um, that would just that could sink the whole company. So trust was always the number one value there. And building out the security, um, world-class, you know, cutting-edge security features within the application was a priority. Um, so you're going to get that with any major um, cloud vendor. There's going to have they're going to have more resources than any particular company would ever have to implement security around the system, right? So you actually get the best in class security when you go to the cloud because you're you know you're getting um, you know, the sort of the, the output of these very large security teams. Yeah, I, I love the way you, you you put that in. You know, Salesforce it it took it took them a while like to really convince the world that. Hey, here's how you should do it, and, and this is where you should actually run your workloads based upon uh, being able to, you know, have really, you know, quick access to that data, and to to also, you know, maybe do that at a at a scale that you normally wouldn't be able to do it at a scale uh, from that perspective. So tapping into cloud and and that would actually give us the information, uh, or we would install software from that perspective, but. As far as um, just like migrating data into a, a data warehouse, migrating the enterprise data warehouse to the cloud, what are some of the 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 best practices around doing that? Well, and it's it's interesting that you like again you're thinking about the difference between on-prem and cloud, and and it, there's so many things you you don't have to worry about as much uh, with anymore. You know, all your disaster recovery, backup. And even the security features we talked about before, those kind of go away when you move to the cloud because the, you kind of get them for free to, to a large extent. I, we've never had a, 
a client lose data in the cloud um, when we're using these cloud data warehouse systems like a Snowflake system, for instance. I mean, it, it's automatically backed up and, and secured, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, so when you're migrating, it's just, there's nice because you really can focus more on the business logic that you're migrating, the data itself. And it's usually a big opportunity, actually, to not to get too in the weeds here of data warehousing, but the the one of the biggest challenges and and almost I sometimes I call it an art of of what data warehousing um, companies like ours do is modeling data. So when you, when you bring in raw data from these source systems, it's almost unusable. It's very hard to actually use it. It's very cryptic. There's all sorts of codes and lookup fields that don't make any sense to the end user. Um, there's a lot of data that's metadata about the data that again is not that useful for a lot of people and it's confusing. Um, there's hundreds of tables to join together in myriad ways, so it's it can be really really complicated. So you often you want to might you want to model that data, run it through an ETL process that um, cleans it, normalizes it, formats it, so it makes it easy for end users to understand. You know your goal is to to have the average marketer, salesperson, you know finance person out there to be able to look at the data and understand it and ask questions. So modeling is um, a critical piece of data warehousing. You want to make it easy to use. On on-premise systems have typically required different kinds of modeling, more for performance, you know, issues and trying to get the most out of out of things like that. When you go to the cloud, you you have the, there's there's so many different reasons why you get you get much more performance. It just alleviates a lot of the problems that we had with on-premise systems. And so you actually it, it's an opportunity to maybe remodel your data in a simpler model. There, there's a lot of things you can do to make it simpler. You know, you don't have to have as many tables. You can pre-join a bunch of data together. There's a lot of advantages, um, and so you can have a simpler model. So it's a really good idea to take a take a step back, not just migrate exactly what you have. You know, word you know, sort of word for word or you know, piece for piece, but take a look at how you might be able to leverage some of the modern cloud technology to and implement it in a different way which means that you might be ingesting your data in a different way. You might be modeling it in a different, again, more simple, more performant way. And even the way you do your analytics or your dashboarding or whatever the outputs are of your system, though that, that can change as well quite a bit because you have these approaches that are just much more performant and, and again, cost-effective and easier for the end users. So it's, it, is, it is a re-architecture and redesign opportunity. Um, for you when you move to the cloud, but what you, what you get out of that is something that's going to be much, much more um, effective than if you just literally like lift and shift what you already have. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to add as well, and just just make sure from you know my perspective and what I see is that yeah, these SaaS vendors they are providing you resiliency, right? And if something happens, right, like human human error or some type of data loss event there may be a way to get that data back but having a third party tool that specializes in like making it really simple and fast and efficient for you to get that data back i think is definitely well worth the investment um so i, I wanted to put that plug out there uh not i'm not bashing sas but there are specific companies out there that you know will make that process a lot easier um, one other thing that I, I wanted to to ask you as well, like when you're when you're going into these environments that have data warehouses, data hygiene, like is is that a thing? Like, is there something someone needs to look out for if they are going to kind of run this huge data warehouse, like a health check or a tune up or anything from that perspective? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, the reason that we're in business and a lot of data professionals are in high demand is because data is still difficult. Not necessarily from a technology perspective. Again, it's really data. The data itself, data is complicated. It's dirty. It it has problems. You know, there's there's bad data, lots of bad data in every data set. So there's a lot of hygiene to be done. Um, and and it comes back to trust, right? Again, it, it, you you need to sort of clean all that data and and make sure that it's valid before you turn it over to the to end users. Um, if they if you release bad data and end users figure out it's bad, they lose trust immediately in the system, and that's the number one killer of data projects that I've you know that I've seen. So, you, you know, trust from the beginning is so important when you're building a data system, and so building in that hygiene from from the ground up. Um, is critical. So we we build, for instance, um, everything from uh, I, I mean a ton of tests and checks that run automatically all the time. Every time you load another batch of data, you want to run all your tests um, to make sure that it looks clean. Um, and it and it can be really challenging, right? It's easy to to determine that data is missing, let's say, or you have a completely you know null field that should not be null, you know, or should not be empty, but What's harder is if you're bringing in some data and you're missing a little bit. You know, you have a lower volume, but the data is still there, but it's just maybe missing some things, and it's hard to tell if it's missing. So, for instance, if you had like, let's say you're tracking web traffic off a website, and you have you know thousands of clicks every minute, and you're just kind of tracking all that stuff. Well, if if in one hour you're actually missing some clicks, or you're missing say 15 minutes of you know events, but it's not all in the same chunk of time where you see a complete gap you just have reduced data but you don't really know that it's not that it's not there right if it's not there how do you know how do you detect that it's not there so you have to do things like um, check for thresholds you know see hey is this the amount of data we expected based on historical patterns you know and if it's really below some threshold maybe we want to create a warning and have somebody go check and see if we can figure out if we're missing some data so it can get really complicated but it's definitely important to do that. And you know, the other thing that I like to do is we really like to build um, health check dashboards for end users so they see the status of the system. They see the health of the data right there in front of them. It's very much like a SaaS company putting out a um, system status dashboard of their cloud, right? Is their cloud up? Is there, are there, um, is there downtime? You know, is, are, are certain features down? Is something wrong? You know, and having a dashboard that tells users what the status of the system is helps them build trust in you know whatever they're doing and looking at. So we do that a lot with data itself. So you can tell whether, you know, again in a data warehouse, you might be bringing in data from thirty data sources. We just talked about one, co- you know, a company running their entire business off of thirty SaaS applications. So you're bringing in data from thirty applications. Well, what if one of them starts failing for a day? You know, you, that piece of data is going to be out of date, or that kind of data. So you kind of you want to know that when you're doing your analytics, um, or you know. The more and more you're again, you're running your business off this data, and it's becoming more business critical. Obviously, the more hygiene and the more uh, health checks you need to make sure that the data is accurate and it's good. And that's that's complicated. So that's a whole area that requires a lot of extra work. Yeah. So if if someone is using like a a different variety of data integration vendors and platforms, and you know, you're talking things like Looker and Google BigQuery and just all of these different types of, of um, cloud applications that they're running. It's almost like they can operate in the silo 
and um, just not being able to connect all, all of the dots with that data. Is, is that something that, um, that, that you see? Do you see a lot of different siloed approaches and how data is just kind of decentralized altogether? And if so, what are some of the, some of the insights you can provide around, around um, maybe providing like a, a data strategy for, for the gumbo listeners, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Data silos is a huge problem in business in general. And that's really why data warehouses exist, is to eliminate the silos, You know, bring it all together into a single place. Um, for the technical folks, if you've ever queried data with SQL, with SQL, you know, as soon as you can't bring in a certain piece of data through a join, because it's not in the database, now you're talking about, 10x the amount of time to do your analysis. You know, if it's not right there and you can get bring it in when you need it in a minute or two via a query, then you're then you're talking about again like way more time to do your analysis. So, bringing your data in one place is the is often the only way to effectively analyze uh, again your customers, your products, whatever you're you're interested in and understanding. Otherwise, it just takes too long, and most companies just give up. So, when you have data silos, you either have somebody full time. Um, some poor soul on a spreadsheet, you know, trying to get the data into one place over days and days, maybe even weeks to try to get an answer. Um, and, and it's just horrible, <laughs> you know, or, or you actually have a data warehouse where you bring it all to one place. So data, yeah, we, we try to eliminate data silos. That's really our, one of our number one goals in this business is to get rid of data silos. And can, can you give us a definition of what a modern data stack is? Sure. Yeah. A modern data stack would, first of all, be full cloud and uh, and therefore be able to integrate with all of the other cloud components you need. Um, and there's really about, there's really three main pieces of the stack. Now, the stack could be a lot, a lot, lot more detailed layers, but there's three main layers. Um, one, you need a, the actual data warehouse. So that's the database where you store all your data. Um, you also need to be able to bring data in and push data back out of that database and, you know, even though data warehouses come with some rudimentary tools to do that, you, you often need another vendor that's going to do that in a very um, robust way. Uh, so you need a, a, that's what we would call an ETL layer or ELT layer. It used to be called ETL extract, transform and load is what ETL stands for. And these days it's ELT because it's extract your data from your data source, load it just raw into your data warehouse first, and then transform it and model it's kind of the modeling i was talking about before within the data warehouse and make another basically copy of it but that's cleaned and, and structured for the end user so you need an etl layer um and then the final thing is a business intelligence layer or uh, basically a ui where end users can um, query the data ask questions about the, you know about the data get insights without being technical and having to understand sql or any of that but just being able to answer questions from the data so those are the three main layers of a modern cloud data stack. Okay, yeah, that that's pretty insightful. And I don't I don't work with Snowflake often, but um, I'm just curious, and maybe the the Gumbo listeners are curious as well. What exactly are people using Snowflake for? Yeah, well, primarily it is data warehousing. So if Snowflake, their innovation, they have a lot of in, there's a lot of innovations that Snowflake has brought to the to the industry. Early on, you know, the biggest innovation was the ability to separate out compute from storage. And, you know, not 
many vendors had done that previously. Um, Amazon Redshift was sort of the big cloud data warehouse on the scene six, seven years ago before Snowflake um, really uh, took a lot of market share. And, you know, Amazon Redshift didn't have a, a separation of compute from storage. So what that meant was that um, you can come in and it really got, it's really eliminated a lot of the performance issues that have been one of the biggest challenges for data warehousing in general. What you can do is you can put all your data in one place and then you can spin up separate compute clusters, each dedicated to a specific set of users or an application that can all be querying the same data, but using different CPUs essentially. And so they're not, com they're not conflicting with each other and they're not competing for resources. So you can, you can scale indefinitely because you want to spin, always spin up more compute. Um, so I, I, just a good example of that is uh, at a, let's say a medium-sized company where you have 500 end users and they're all going to be in Looker or Power BI or Sigma Computing, you know, a BI tool. Um, if you had all 500 users, you know, logging at the same time concurrently and trying to ask a question, the whole system would probably bog down to a, a, a crawl and, and nothing would happen because of performance issues um, on any, even a modern cloud data, data warehouse. But what you can do is you can say, well, I'm going to spin up this compute cluster and that sounds maybe complicated, but it's super simple from an, you know, a, a very, uh, your database administrator essentially can do it in a few minutes without even coding. They can just say, okay, I'm going to separate, I'm going to set aside this amount of compute and these users are going to be able to use this compute. So the mark, let's say the marketing team gets one compute cluster, the sales team gets another, the finance team gets another, the product guys get another, and they're all querying the same data, but they're not competing for resources in terms of processing. So that was a huge innovation that, um, you know, allowed these systems again to scale very, very well um, and very easily. Uh, so, so data warehousing is, you know, Snowflake brought that kind of innovation to the forefront and they are continually always adding more and more features to help with just data warehousing in general, including some data modeling capabilities and, you know, ingesting data in. And now where Snowflake's going is um, what I was talking about a little bit earlier about having these uh, this ability to do transactional data databases essentially that could support applications. And so, um, you know, for a long time, Snowflake has, has said, we're not just a data warehouse, we're a data platform, but everybody's a data platform, you know, but, uh, but they truly are starting to become more of a platform. The, um, with a lot of these features that I was talking about, there's also a, basically an app store that they have a marketplace with vendors that can, bring in data, which brings me actually to the old, the other innovative feature that the Snowflake came on the scene with several years ago now is what they call data sharing. And again, this is something that only the cloud can do. This is a huge benefit of a cloud environment. So if you're a company and you're running Snowflake and I'm your partner, I'm another company, I'm running Snowflake, right? And you want to share some data with me. Let's say, let's give an example. Like, let's say I'm a retailer and you're you're a, a vendor that helps helps me with shipping and returns, you know, or something. Um, and I just want to see how my customers are doing with all the return data, you know. And you're going to share it with me. Uh, you can go in your Snowflake database and you can click up with a few clicks. You can expose a table or two or three or a whole schema to me, and it just shows up in my data warehouse as if it's in my data warehouse. And I don't even know, I, I mean, I, I do know there's a little icon, but I, it's hard to know that, that, you know, it works just like it's in my data warehouse. So effectively, it's all logical, right? You've just logically exposed some data that's in the cloud into my instance, um, and you're not actually moving the data. So that's a huge, hugely innovative. Um, you know, again, it, it 
anytime you have to move data, there's always a decent amount of work and there's a lot of checks. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to make sure you miss, you lose data along the transit and all that stuff. Um, so that eliminates a lot of the headaches of moving data around and it's pretty innovative. Right now we're working with, um, for instance, major league um, sports like the NFL and, 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 and football teams. Well, the NFL, same problem, you know, they want to share data that the league has with all the teams um, and the teams have some data that they want to share with the league, you know, and again, there's a lot of right now, there's just so much effort and time and money spent on just syncing that data between teams and the league. Right. But if you had data sharing, it would just be almost instantaneous and be very easy. So cloud is bringing some kind of amazing features in this, in this space. Wow. That, that is all super insightful. And um, just, you know, one, one thing that, that you mentioned as well with the data sharing model, and it, it reminds me of the book, and I, I always mention this, it's a book called uh, The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman, and how the internet kind of leveled the playing field across the entire world. Now everyone can tap in and access data all from the same vehicle, and that's the internet. And that's why you and I sit here today, we're, we're streaming right now over, you know, ones and zeros. Um, and able to see each other and, and hear each other, you know, kind of in a uh, in an on-demand fashion. But uh, one last question, and it's a just a personal one around, like, what are you reading today? Any book recommendations for the Gumbo listeners? Sure, yeah. I'm reading some kind of classics at this point. So, for instance, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm-hmm, yep. I think that's a super um, helpful book at, to this day of understanding how teams should gel and trust each other and work together well. Patrick Lencioni or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I always find that an inspirational and I, I go through that actually with my team every quarter or two, like re- re- revisit that book and talk about certain certain aspects of it. So I've, I've always loved that, that book in terms of figuring out how to work together as a team. And then on the personal side, if anybody has uh, children out there, it, um, uh, the Whole Brain Child is actually a wonderful book about this sort of psychology and of how to raise a child effectively, right? With their understanding how they how they develop and how you you know left your sort of high brain and low lizard brain and how it all works together and emotions and so yeah, I love I love uh, those kind of insights and, and probably a reason why you shouldn't spank your children because their brain hasn't developed yet until they turn twenty seven. <laughs> there you go, yeah, or thirty or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's still not an excuse to to not discipline your children. You have to figure out what discipline is, right? So taking iPhones away and, you know, devices, et cetera. So there, there's ways to do it. Um, you know, however, uh, Aaron, it's definitely been super insightful for, for me to have this conversation with you, learn a little bit about data warehousing and data lakes and some of the cliff, I mean, some of the, the shifts from, you know, on-premises to the cloud, et cetera. So... Uh, it's definitely been an honor to have you on Data Protection Gumbo. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week week.